Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate Spider-Man 2, one carrying a fake baby minute at a time. I'm Zach Luna. <laughs> I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Joe Dorowski. I'm Andrew Dorowski. Welcome back. Welcome back, guys. We're happy to have you today for today's minute, Minute 80, which is the one that begins with uh, the parents reacting to the explosion of fire from the building and ends with Peter asking, what am I supposed to do? So, I feel like the, the parents' reaction, <laughs> which is just exchanging looks and look and being sad, yeah, like it's like it's like a direct answer to the woman from the first film who just wailed <laughs> at the top of her lungs <laughs> when the building exploded. Right, right. Yeah. She's like, let's let's take this more subtle. Yeah, yeah. let's let's. Turn well, we the don't want to do we don't want to no. do what Carol did in the last movie. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting a second swing at the ball, you know, a second a second swing at the ball here, boys. Let's uh, let's try this one more time with slightly different tones. Let's just sit in the moment. Yeah, we don't have to be loud there. Um, you know what is loud? All these explosions, several of them, in fact, all at once. What is? I don't know like, how fires what is work. Still exploding. Yeah. At this point, inside that building, especially on the ground floor. <laughs> yeah. As, we, as Toby runs out, it's like like okay, what could possibly still be exploding in that in that photography studio? <laughs> Yeah, maybe it was some of their chemicals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like one thing that was like so well protected because because it was put in another one of these fireproof closets that it yeah it, it's it's only now getting through the closet. Yes, yes, the fire hadn't reached it until he made it down the now non-existent stairs to leave uh, that thing. I don't know it. There's also a lot of glass in yeah. these explosions. Everybody's fine though. I mean, it is again. It's it's like the. Uh, the lightning flashes last week or something where I it's goofy enough that I roll with it instead of just like, uh, I, I don't question it in the moment, but I definitely question it when we do this sort of approach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember it's kind of like when we talked about the internal architecture of this building. Yes. Just falling and looking up. Like when I saw the movie, I don't remember ever questioning that, mm -hmm. but when I'm watching it minute by minute and reviewing these minutes a couple times, I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. Oh. How tall is that Cause, ceiling? Because, like, Sam <laughs> Raimi wants to go for, like, the... He wants to keep you as most in the moment of drama as possible. Like, it's not just the thing that's happened. It's we'll put a little little extra button on the thing that's happening. We'll we'll push yeah, it just a little bit more. Let's freeze frame at the end of raindrops keep falling on the Exactly. Head. Yes. Right. And it's beautiful. And, <laughs> if you and, and when you're when you're watching the movie and you're in that zone, when you're in the Sam, the Sam Raimi headspace, mm -hmm. it all works together. Yes. Mm -hmm. But when you're watching 3 minutes and discussing them in depth and and you don't have like the greater context of that Sam Raimi headspace. Mm -hmm. You do start to lose track of some of these things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there's like two types of like film fans in my brain that happen when we're when we're doing this, which is one is the person who is 
I care about the thing so I get brought into the world and I'm going to think about the situation as if it were really happening and I was a person in that world. And the other much louder voice is I understand that these are constructed things. I understand that somebody wrote them to be this way and then people created and built the sets and then acted them out that nothing that happens in the film happened. It's all decisions that were made by people. And that can that tension is... I think some people just want to submit to one or the other, but like understanding where both of them come from and like having a, a, a something that's satisfying on both levels is when a, a, a film is really singing to me, like parts of this movie that are just like some of my favorite things in movies where I get lost to that part of me that believes it's real. And when I step back and analyze it from a construction standpoint, I also am impressed. Um, this is just more of the like, oh, I can see the seams a little bit type of mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah, it's 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 sort of, um, and I, now I'm blanking on the um, the name of the artist who made the pipe and or you know painted the pipe oh, and, and said this is not a pipe. Yeah, um, Magri- you know, it's like yeah, oh, is it yeah, Magri- and and yeah, I think so. That <laughs> okay. sounds correct to me. Sure, um, <laughs> but yeah, and so in this case, it's Sam Raimi saying like, this is not a burning building, but. I am depicting something that should convey to you to understand burning building. Right. 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 He's, you know, he's and, out and at the last possible second. You know? Yeah. Superhero danger. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, and I, I think he's doing a good job of that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I, um, so Magritte, is that the name we had said about the bike? Yeah. Yes. I'm nice. okay. Joseph has confirmed. <laughs> I'm watching, uh, I'm watching Peter leave this building and, um, holding this baby really close to his face. Uh, I I don't think that's Toby. I think that's his stunt double, and that's why oh. he's dropping the baby and running because it's not really him. <laughs> my my question was going to be: Does Peter Parker know how to handle a child? Because, but based on last minute and this handoff to the parents of a traumatized <laughs> child, I'm thinking Peter Parker's had very little babysitting experience. In his yeah. Life. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think he's got a lot of chances for that. <laughs> yeah. But you, you're saying you think uh, the stunt double is the reason why there's such a quick handoff. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah. Because I don't. I don't think that that's Toby Maguire. Um, mm, maybe. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not. It's it, there, he's trying too hard to cover his face in like a really unnatural way. And that's like the sure sign of a, I mean, I've, I've, I've watched enough Whedon shows <laughs> to know <laughs> the tricks that uh, stunt doubles use to, to cover their faces when they have to be on screen for too long. Yeah. Um, you're like, yeah. Feel this... the camera burning into me. Oh no, they're going to tell. I got to get <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That's what this feels Sunlight like to a vampire. It's mm-hmm. also, I also fully expect them to open the blanket and just see a loaf of bread and him just be like, sorry, I couldn't save her, bye. Like, and then he comes back and is like, wait, no, that was mine. Yeah. Oh, sorry. oh no, where's your daughter? <laughs> yeah. Check all the bread racks. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just this, the gesture of, this is an object, I have to transfer it, uh, which you could read as like, you know, uh, Peter's weirdness about it, or you could read it as, the object itself was definitely not a, a child on the day. And how do you, how do you convincingly make something seem like it weighs more than it does? The way nobody ever looks convincingly when they're like drinking uh, a coffee on screen and there's no liquid in it. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like maybe two actors have ever genuinely like made it convincing. But there's and just it was Daniel Day Lewis and Daniel Day Lewis. Right, sure, <laughs> but like that. Why waste that effort on that sort of thing? Like just put just put like water in the cup even just have something there it's like 
it's a weird, unnatural thing to do to pretend something weighs a different amount than it does. So it rarely ever looks real. Um, but it's because this is fast enough, this shot goes by fast enough, we can just sort of accept it as Peter being awkward. But it's it's a, a definitely, again, one of those moments where I can see the, the seams of the filmmaking in a, less of a charming way and more of a like, oh, yeah, that's fake. Okay. <laughs> type of well, and, and I don't quite see why it necessarily needs to be, one, a stunt double for just this handoff. Like, it's a back-viewed handoff. Mm-hmm. That, and, and it's not like it's not like the camera tracks from a shot that was especially dangerous. Yeah. Well, there's that explosion. So sure. There's that explosion. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. the explosion behind him is enough that it, it needs a stunt double. Yeah. I, I think so. It, yeah. It's like to the okay. side of him. Yeah. It might um, even be like an insurance thing that like physically Toby could have easily done that, but because it was a bigger stunt. It was too close. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. that big of a stunt. Uh, okay. I try to be a little, <laughs> a little more careful with, uh, cause, cause that would also explain why it couldn't actually be the child. Because I was like, yeah, I, I, you know, thinking about it, it's like, I think it's just the handoff. Is that too close to, to danger? But yeah, I, I guess with that large of, um, of a practical effect going thing off. happening, yeah, that um, it's just I, 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 and I know you know you have to do things as quickly as you can, and you have to do them on a certain level of budget. I just would have thought at some point there was like a market for reasonably pl- priced things that weigh the same as humans and are shaped like humans. <laughs> you know? Like a baby doll that weighs 30 pounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like... <laughs> the right size, and they have the different sizes. Infant, <laughs> they, they move up. Right, yeah. The scale. For all of your, uh, you know, if you have to test out your uh, your car seats, you know, or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. just they have them available. Or, or even just for your movie-making needs to help the yeah. actor out just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just throw me a bone here. Just like... Give me something I mean, that weighs the right amount. Yeah, I, I mean, we need, we need, uh, we need better fake babies in movies, mm-hmm. uh, and we need, we need better wigs. Like, can we just throw yeah. out all the bad wigs? Can we just throw <sighs> them all out? Like, just, <laughs> just start throw from scratch. Them all out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just, just all the bad ones. Like, if you look at, um, uh, like, like I am every season, I am amazed by the wigs in Better Call Saul. Because mm, yeah. they're so natural looking. Why don't all wigs look like, like, just get that guy. Whoever made those wigs. <laughs> get that well, guy. blew my mind. I was listening recently on West Wing Weekly, and Allison Janney talked about by the latter season, she had wigs and would just have her own hair to ponytail all the time. Whoa. She was tired of yeah. sitting down for, for her hair to be done. Yeah. It, like, she didn't want to do, like, a two-hour hair and makeup thing, so she did, like, a 30-minute wig. Oh man, that's amazing! And I had no idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, that, that can't be true. But it's you, Alice and Jenny, saying it about yeah. yourself. So yeah. I'm gonna accept it. But <laughs> it blew my mind because, like you, like you're saying, Scott, I've seen so many bad wigs. I, I like, how did I watch that many hours of West Wing and never say she's wearing a wig? She's wearing a wig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah. the wig I think of is uh, in Buffy. There's an episode where she like. Uh, is frustrated and cuts her hair because she's going through like a lot of like life changes. And it was because, I don't know, Sarah Michelle Gellar wanted a new haircut that season. But in the episode, before she cuts her hair, they filmed it out of order, so her hair was already cut. And so she wears this really conspicuously long, like thick wig that doesn't look real at all. And people are like touching it and commenting on her hair. And I'm like, no, guys. Ow. Don't draw uh, attention. Golly. I mean, I, I'm more willing to forgive a, you know, a, a, a show on the WB from 
seven than I am. Uh. <laughs> no, you know what though? I'm not. It's okay. a wig. It's a wig. Like you can get a good wig. Like come on. Like it's a wig. Like just get a good wig. Like just get a good wig. We're not talking about community theater. This is a multi-million dollar television series. Like get a good wig. I think of Arrow and the flashbacks on Arrow, like the island flashbacks and his terrible wig. Oh yeah. Oh man. Just get a good wig. It's not that difficult. My God. <laughs> Especially if you're going to use it literally every episode. Oh, my God. For, for years. Anyway, we need better class. better yeah. fake babies and better wigs. Better fake yes, babies. That's what got us on this tangent. <laughs> um, so back to the, the, the Spider-Man stuff um, where there's less wigs. So we have the parents and we have this nice little moment with the, oh, it is the child there. When we cut back to the exterior of the building, when the uh, firefighters have put it out, er- earlier in the week we were praising how well the fire effect looked as like a building on fire on fire. I don't think it's as convincing as a burnt building because like nothing's really wrong with it. It's just been darkened. Yeah, that's, right. There's just like there's no windows in. It's like oh well, you took all the windows. Out. Yeah. Especially <laughs> with all the explosions we saw and everything we saw going on inside. Yeah. Expect more structural integrity issues. Yeah, well, some, something should have fallen down. Look, yeah. they don't want to ruin their back lot. Leave them alone. No, it's but they okay. do. That's the point of the back lot. I'm, I'm like I used to I used to give tours at this back lot at Universal Studios, and like one of the main points in our guidebook is like fun fact about the way that they build these uh, uh, these facades at the back lot. They're just a facade front and side, so that you can burn them or tear them down or whatnot and you have an effect of the structural integrity of the main thing like the, they're made to be that's the point used oh. up the outside you're supposed to wreck so that we can replace it later but maybe i don't know <laughs> they're like they're just on the day th- for another show later <laughs> right yeah. or they they built it so they knew they had to do so much shooting of the like previous fiery fiery sequence that they wanted to build this one extra sturdy so it wouldn't burn and then they're like oh wait don't we have to <laughs> Don't we need a shot of it at the end of the ordeal? It's, I don't know. It's almost conspicuously fine to me. Um, maybe that saves yeah. money. I don't know. But it's... Also, how long does it take him to put out that fire? Because they, they're calling it while he's still sitting there on oxygen. How yeah, long like how, yeah, how long did he need oxygen? I don't know. I mean, the firefighters in New York are very good. They are the best, right? Are, yeah, are there better I, firefighters? I would easily than... believe that they're the best. <laughs> like... But that was a big fire. It, yeah, it was a big fire, and they really attended to it. Um, okay, other other little uh, uh, casting research uh, thing this week. Well, Should okay, I talk real, about it real quick, okay. before you get to the fireman, okay, right, okay. real quick, before you get to the fireman, I just yes. want to comment on how the the fake baby was so fake that <laughs> they had to... They had to do a cutaway to the real baby just so you understood that it was a real human being that he gave to them. <laughs> he didn't actually fail and then like grab something and swaddle it up. Right. right. Just distract yeah, it, her for a second as I leave. Yeah. Yeah. It was I real. Also, like, let's let's take a moment with these two people that we don't really know a whole lot about. But like, let's mm-hmm. take that moment just so that we can be like, yeah, no, it was a real. See, it's real. It's a real kid. You know I what? Also, yeah. I like that they have um, a cutaway, like a really brief cutaway mm. to, uh, I can't remember his name, Mr. Bridge from, you know, that's like telling him oh, yeah, who's Michael. in the building. Yeah. yeah, like like just saying, it's like, yeah, he got it. <laughs> it's like, I, I mean, that's a really short shot, but I, like, I guess it's good that he saw that he succeeded and 
He yeah. didn't think somebody ran into the building and died. <laughs> Just a, yeah, but that's the thing. Like where Sam will prioritize things like that. Like in the first film where we have like the little interstitial interviews with Xena and everybody else about like, what do you mm-hmm. think of Spider-Man? That like, it's important to keep populating New York with little people here and there that, uh, you know, care about Spidey so that we're not just in newspaper land or, you know, congressional hearing land, uh, <coughs> Batman versus Superman. Um, like it, <laughs> it, it makes it matter more. Um, and, uh, and now that I'm thinking about it, I, I almost wonder if this extra cutaway here where they have the little, um, you know, proof that it's a real baby was was not originally planned because they have to fill that time with something. So, like, Cindy says a couple lines there. Like, maybe that's why she didn't have a credit in the film because as originally booked, she wasn't going to have lines there. And so they went in with ADR or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's mm-hmm. why the parents aren't credited is they don't have English lines? I don't know. It's still weird to me that they don't have <laughs> credits in the end of the film. <laughs> Usually, any spoken part gets a credit, right? Yeah, 100%. That's that's the, like... Like, that's the, the rules, threshold, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It's still weird. It's still, it's still a little odd. Um, all right, so if we... I mean, we brought up Michael Edward Thomas, the other... Uh, the, the bridge guy from earlier in the week, who says, yeah, whatnot. Here is the second half of the, um, you know, this theme of the people from Spider-Man's past coming and uh, in, interacting with him again. The mustache fireman here is Joe Verzi, who was the other New Yorker on the bridge credited from Spider-Man the first. You you mess with one of us? You mess with all of us? Yep. Come on up here, tough guy. I got a little something for you. Leave Spider-Man alone. You're going to pick on a guy trying to save a bunch of kids? That is mustache fireman Joe Verzi. He is like a baseball cap in the first movie. Um, There you go. I don't know. I mean, yeah. A mustache can just completely transform your face. It totally, yeah, totally that... can. Yeah, I didn't believe it at first, and I, I went and looked, and you know, compared to his headshot and everything, and it is one hundred percent him. Um, he's got some other you, small. You, you like held up a piece of paper to hide the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Henry Cavill of it all. Um, <laughs> he uh, has other small movie roles like this here and there, but in the late two thousands, he mostly transitioned into working in casting, and so currently he does the the voice casting on uh, Marty Noxon's current show, Unreal. Um, oh. Over on Lifetime, or yeah. And in in looking up Joe, my well, favorite. I don't, of, I don't think that's Marty Knoxon's show anymore. But oh right, yeah, she yeah. she was just a first season showrunner. Yeah, I think right. On it. Yeah, but you know, co creator, whatever. Um, his <laughs> his best random credit I found was <laughs> on his IMDb. He has a credit for the soundtrack uh, for My Boss's Daughter, the Ashton Kutcher Tara Reid comedy from two thousand and three. Um, apparently, he wrote a song used in the film, and that song is called Mustache Ride. <laughs> wow! Oh my goodness! <laughs> and it was used in the soundtrack, and so he has a music credit on his IMDb for that. Uh, Did wow. you listen to it? No, I could not find a track of Mustache Ride. Oh. But, uh, I, I almost made a joke there that I am glad I retracted. Just that he's yeah. got a mustache and he's a fan of them. Onward and upward. The tall fireman <laughs> is. Yeah, that's Billy. not that's not a thing you want to Google. No, um, no. Uh, <laughs> don't go looking that up. Um, the tall uh, this uh, this here, other guy. Yeah. Before you say who he is, okay. I want okay. to I want to guess what his career path is. Oh, okay. because because <laughs> he looks to me right like they always have a very similar sort of look, which mm. is 
the Doug Jones of the world, the uh, the, yeah. the the actors who wear a lot of prosthetic makeup all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks like one of those guys. Is he one of like, those guys? Also, uh, like um, uh, Anthony Daniels as well. That kind of mm. yeah, yes, narrow. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, no, he would oh. be well suited to it because it's that thing where if you're really lanky and and tall, uh, if you have wide enough shoulders as well. It's easy to sculpt things on you, and, and it right. won't look like fake and weird on you. That's why yeah. Doug Jones has so much work. He looks like him. someone who should play a Klingon. Yes, exactly. Yeah, or <laughs> or something like that. Um, no, he has. You know, he kept up acting a little bit here and there. Um, he is in this movie, I assume, because of Sam Raimi uh, liking people. Uh, for a while, he only had tiny, uncredited roles on little things here and there, um, but. In 1999, Sam Raimi cast him in For Love of the Game as uh, Davis Birch, who I think is one of the one of the baseball players. It was first mm. like actual role, big role, and then from that, the next few credits on his IMDb are Spider-Man 2 as a fireman. He has a little thing in Spider-Man 3. He came back and dragged me to hell as a security guard, and in Oz the Great and Powerful, he was an Emerald City citizen. So this is just like a guy Sam Raimi digs that he keeps throwing a bone here and there. Um, because pretty mm. much his whole filmography past the 90s is just Sam Raimi projects. That's interesting because he doesn't have eyebrows. That's why I thought for sure oh, yeah. he was uh, cool. he was a makeup guy. For sure. mm-hmm. I thought it was like, oh, for sure. Because he has no eyebrows, right? You would shave those off for the makeup or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, be, get, get in the predator suit or something. Uh, right, yeah. yeah. I don't know. If you're yeah. listening, Bill Rogers, maybe, uh, maybe talk to your agent about that. See if you can. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Are you claustrophobic? If not. <laughs> we got a deal for you. Um, if, if you are. Well, you can still have a career. You'd just be uncomfortable. Yeah, you just, just hate your life. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, um, yeah but this, this, this beat here with the firemen, um, is it too sad? I, I, I mean, I get that it's you know sad, but is is not the main point here that is it not the Captain America of it all that you save as many people as you can, and sometimes that doesn't mean everybody, but like it's good that you helped. Mm-hmm. I, I'm. Can we pick apart why this is such a blow to him? I guess. Yeah, I mean it's it's because I mean I think it's because yeah he just he blames himself. I mean Peter, Peter is a Peter's a guilty guy. Yeah, like he, he has a lot of self perpetuated guilt. Not that he's like actually guilty of doing a lot of things. Yeah, but yeah. he has he he just has a guilty soul. <sighs> I mean, because this um, is what this is is it's another. It's another moment like the Uncle Ben moment where, like, you know, he could have helped, but he didn't because he's not Spider-Man and that's his fault, you know? Mm, And he knows it's his fault because he already talked to the doctor who told him it was psychological. So he knows that. He knows that. Mm. And hearing that this person died, it's sort of like, you know, it's just it's 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 Uncle Ben. Like that might as well be Uncle Ben. Who died. That's somebody's Uncle Ben. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this is almost literally the thing that I I started doing this for to try to make sure this didn't happen for anybody else. I did let it happen for somebody else. Okay. Right. I can I can right. see that. I think the reason it didn't connect to me so much on this rewatch is this idea that uh, if he has absolved himself of being Spider Man and he still made the effort to save someone, isn't that you know? There's a little parable about like some guy 
that like the tide came in and a bunch of starfish were on the beach and then it went away and this guy goes out <laughs> there throwing starfish <laughs> yeah, and they're like it doesn't matter you'll never help all of them it matters to this one as he throws another starfish back into the sea but, but yeah and i think for peter it's because it's like yeah well spider-man can grab two starfish yeah I, there I it is yeah i, I okay. should have been able yeah. to it's like it's like i still can't save everybody but I could have been saving one more. Yeah. And I like thinking about it, like, this might as well be Uncle Ben, because that is, like, Spider-Man's motivation for being a hero is guilt. Like, Batman's is revenge, right? Yeah. Like, it's all crime. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm going to revenge myself on all crime. Right. Uh, and, what like, they, my parents. they say responsibility for Spider-Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but it's really guilt, I think. Not not great power comes great responsibility. It's, it's like, a, a guilt complex as well. Well, that's, that's, start that's, that's, yeah. the, that's the start. That's what the point of this movie is, though, is that you can't, you can't drive on completely on guilt like it's, mm. it's not enough it's not enough right um it, it, it the baggage of it is too much and that's what this whole movie is about is like the baggage of his guilt is too much um yeah. and he's looking he's trying to find philosophically he's like trying to find another reason to be doing this um mm-hmm. and i think that he's graduating yeah. from guilt to responsibility like to actual genuine responsibility right rather not- than like feeling responsible and they're in guilty He's literally, you know, by the end of this movie, he's taking on the weight of the world, you know, holding back the train. He's he's taking that responsibility. The difference between feeling like uh, you're forced into something and deciding to do it, you know, right? Uh, yeah, right. like taking yeah. on I the think, mantle yourself. Um, right. I think it's it's something you'll get different, um, like different percentages of, mm. depending on who's telling the story, who's telling the Spider-Man story. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're dealing with, like, the Uncle Ben story, it's like, yeah, that's a lot of guilt. If you're dealing with Gwen Stacy or Captain Stacy, you're dealing with more and more guilt. So right. so Amazing Spider-Man 2 is, like, really guilt-heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so depending on what story you're getting, it's it's more guilt or more responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite, um, like, Spider-Man moments, I think it was from the Ultimate Spider-Man TV series. Oh, wow. I think it's the one that came after Spectacular Spider-Man. Right. Neil Patrick Harris um, as uh, Spidey? Is that no, 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 no. That was, was, uh, it was early uh, 2000s. Drake Bell, right? Yeah, oh, Drake, Drake Bell. Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so there was an episode where I think they were dealing with, like, Mephisto or, or somebody, and it was, it was a really psychologically focused episode for the, for the teen heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And so he was like attacking them. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, using all these psychological tools to attack you. I'm taking you to the moments of, you know, your greatest shame and, and your moments of guilt and everything. And so he takes Spider-Man to like in in his brain, he's taking him to uncle Ben and he's like, face down your guilt. And like Spider-Man hugs uncle Ben and he like turns to the bad guy. He's like, I deal with this every day. Every time I put on this mask, I'm dealing with what happened to uncle Ben. Like Mm -hmm. you can't make this worse for me. Like, I, I know my Uncle Ben situation. So yeah, you're trying to find right. the moment of my greatest guilt and shame. Like, it doesn't work because I am dealing with that every single day as Spider-Man. Right. Well, um, and I, and but I, I think, think that was actually kind of, a, kind of a healthy way to say it, where it's like, mm-hmm. I know Uncle Ben would be proud of the way I've taken the negative experience and tried to make it positive by helping people. Yeah. And I think that was a really good take on... The Spider-Man guilt, but Whereas I think this one is, is kind of an angsty guilt. But I think the guilt, the guilt thing is, it's not, it's not a realistic approach to this, um, mm-hmm. and that's why I don't think it works in the movies as well. I think that's why they had to deal with it <laughs> in this movie, um, because I think we, I think I referenced this earlier in the season, but like, you know, one of the things that people uh, point to with George Clooney as Batman, where they're like. 
oh, he was a bad choice because of this. And one of the reasons is because he was interviewed where he's like, yeah, I tried to play Batman um, a little more lighthearted because like, you know, like his parents died like 40 years ago. Like what, what's he still hung up about it? <laughs> and, and people were mad about that. But. People were very mad, but like, he kind of has a point. Like he's in his forties and he's still hung up on the same thing. Like, when you are a comic book character or a cartoon character, you can do that and people will just shrug it off and be like, oh, yeah, whatever. And, you know, especially in the case with comics, you have, you know, an endless stream of creators coming in and wanting to put their stamp on the character. And every time they do that, they tend to come back to square one and build mm-hmm. up from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're constantly going back to that origin story like all the time. But in a movie, like you're trying to move forward and you're trying to tell a different kind of story. Um, and so like, I appreciate that they are showing Peter in this movie that like guilt, isn't the reason to be doing this. Um, and that he needs to find a deeper reason to be doing this because guilt isn't enough. And eventually like you need to get over the, that guilt. Like you, you do like to be a fully functioning human being, you need to get over that guilt. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, Go go get some therapy, Peter. Yeah, right. yeah. I, I think you do that to many of our superheroes. Totally. Yeah, it's like, uh, iconic yeah. American superheroes are often not in the most emotionally healthy place. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But to it, to deal with like the guilt thing, like this movie is is telling the story. I was like, well, if Peter had gone to therapy for this, like it would have helped do this faster. And so yeah. he had like a two year process where he was late to everything. Yeah. And, couldn't keep a job and, and someone else died. Well, yeah, if, and, and his health insurance probably like, wouldn't cover therapy at this point, you know, because <laughs> I doubt he has health insurance, you know? No, I, I'm sure he doesn't. He, like, all he's doing is freelance uh, photography. Well, because mm-hmm. we thought that's why he went to the, like, conspicuously, like, uh, pediatrician-esque doctor that he's probably still on his old insurance. Like, his Aunt May. Yeah, his Aunt May. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, maybe he's on Aunt May's insurance. He's not 26 yet. Yeah. <laughs> um. All, all that to say that, like, I... I, I tend to prefer the type of uh, Batman or Spider-Man stories. Like my favorite Batman is when he's like with the Bat family with like Robin and Batgirl and stuff like that, where he is, he's accepted this as his calling as the, the one thing he does that he's better at than other people. But it's not out of, you know, deep brooding, dark angriness anymore. It's about I'm helping, you know, I'm great right. at this. Yeah. Right. And that's, I, I think yeah. I agree. Yeah. And well, one thing I love though is that we have so many stories of all these iconic superhero characters that you can have that mix of yeah. the brooding Batman and the family, you know, the Bat family, Batman, mm-hmm. and the 1960s Batman, and like it always. I mean, people can like what they like, but it always bugs me when they're like, "Oh, the 1960s Batman's not the real Batman." I'm like, "Well, it was. It really <laughs> yeah. was. Real interpretation of Batman. Yeah, it, it, it is a version. You of could say character. you don't like it, but I don't think you can like dismiss it as not." The yeah because i mean you know they, these they don't exist i mean they ex- <laughs> they <laughs> exist in terms of like they these are like very important cultural myths that are meaningful to people but they mm-hmm. don't exist as in there is some like dimension we reach into to look at what batman <laughs> has been up to and then write it down it is right. always and... people making the choices and there are various interpretations at work and none of them are less true uh, unless they're not doing what they're trying to do. Right. I mean, yeah. look at look at it this way. Uh, there are literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Spider-Man fans who truly, in the deep, deep 
place in their soul believe that Craven's Last Hunt is the greatest Spider-Man story ever told. And I think it's a it's a steaming pile of garbage. <laughs> so right there, that tells you everything you need to know. You know, like it's like, yeah, yeah people like different things and that's that's OK. And the, yeah. it, it doesn't mean any of them are not valid. Like you just need to. Yeah you know, understand where people are coming from or, or what have you. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. I I I like that we're seeing a Peter that is uh, growing and changing, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and isn't being uh, shamed for it the way that um, Peter gets shamed for it in Amazing Spider-Man 2, where he's like, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a little better now. Oh, are you? And then life just slaps him <laughs> down <laughs> repeatedly until he feels guilty again. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. you know, that's yeah. I mean, having thing. said that we are about to enter almost peak guilty Peter. Oh, right? oh yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the moment coming up, it's going to be yeah. the good like, stuff. Which, yeah. For Spider-Man 2, like just Spider-Man 2, which is peak, peak angsty Peter. Is it when he gives up being Spider-Man or when he's contemplating giving up, giving up being Spider-Man? I, I think it's gotta be like the, the giving up, giving up. Yes. Being Spider-Man. <laughs> like it's gotta be right here. Like we, we cut from, you know, the fiery wreckage to, the zoom in on Peter in the window where he's saying things out loud. Like, I, like Peter's not generally a religious character. No. So it's not like he's praying. This is, but, I, but he's asking somebody, it's like, why don't I get what I want? And it's like, well, Peter, like you wanted to stop being Spider-Man. This is like, yeah. this is what you said you want. This, this is pretty angsty, but I don't know if anything tops him sitting on his bed in the dark Repeating to himself, Spider-Man, no more. Spider-Man, yeah. no more. In, in, envisioning no Uncle more. Ben in the car no in more. a white space. Yeah. No more. No more. Looking at his hand. Okay, yeah. that's probably the, the angstiest. But I, I actually really do love this moment mm. where he's like like facing out into the window with his arm up. Like, I, like really, I don't know who he's supposed to be talking to. Yeah. it's, it's his... Because he's addressing it to someone. to someone. I think it's Ben. I think it's Uncle Ben. Maybe, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's as close as we get to like a direct or an attempt at like a direct translation of the key Spider-Man storytelling device for me, which is Peter just talking to himself a lot. Him just monologuing in his head as he's doing his thing. Which I desperately miss. Yeah, it's just, it's hard to do as a cinematic thing but it's um, not you just do voiceover you like just do i know voiceover. i know oh, yeah. everyone is and, a, it feels like um people Tom are like Holland does it a bit more yeah. muttering to himself well, right? and he kind of has he like he has a voice in his in his suit that he can right talk that he can to. directly yeah. talk to yeah. even if he's not yeah. if he's not really like he's like i'm not saying anything that you need to respond to mm-hmm. like right. suit voice yeah. but it, it means i can talk out loud and like it gives him psychologically someone someone's listening, and that yeah. and that's fine. But I feel like they bent over backwards to make that happen to justify of, it. Yeah, yeah like where it has it's just to be like, rooted in like tech, uh, like military tech somehow. It's like you could just have him be a chatty, you know, doofus. Like that's fine. Right. Yeah, it's like it's like people talk to themselves, and if you're if you just set up that like when he's swinging through, he talks because it helps him. You know, he's like, got stuff to deal with. Yeah, yeah right. he's, like, he's, he's just talking out. <laughs> I mean. I mean I know that there's been times when I've talked out loud driving in a car. <laughs> it's like I'm just talking out loud. Oh, all, all day, every day. Yeah. You know, it happens. Yeah. So if we just cool. kind of like establish this, like this is a thing Peter does and maybe you limit it to his web swinging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they did in the 90s cartoon where it's like every time he's web swinging, there's just the, the voiceover <laughs> where it's like, here's my status. Here's what's going through my head. Right. There, yeah. I mean, um, my biggest pet peeve with these movies is that they bookend it with voiceover, but they don't use the voiceover at any point in the rest of the movie. 
It's just mm-hmm, at the mm-hmm. opening and the closing of, of each movie. And it's like, what a wasted opportunity. Like you're, yeah, you're, you're right, introducing really... it there. Just use it throughout the yeah. whole movie. Yeah, you're establishing the language of this film, mm-hmm, right, right? At the very beginning mm-hmm. with voiceover. So it would not be jarring for an audience. Like if, if it's only yeah. popped in in act three, that'd be weird. <laughs> when you're saying this is how we're going to tell story for the next two hours right yeah i think you have full license to go ahead and embrace that totally yeah yeah but and so this moment where you get like almost as close as we get to it in in the middle of these films yes um i really enjoy because one it feels very spider-man to me mm-hmm. and two it's i mean you need him to say these things to get it across like you can't visually convey this moment that he's having right yeah you know where where he's really questioning himself and so you need somehow for him to visually or or like verbally express it so you get what's going on in his head right because this isn't a novel kind of enjoy it yeah because we can't just read his thoughts it's not a novel it's not a comic Mm -hmm. we have to have something um if this were like a musical he would sing a song right now for sure Mm -hmm. like Mm. that would get across the you know there is a musical one more film It's not a musical of Spider-Man 2 is all I'm saying. I'm just saying if, <laughs> in, a, in a musical form, this would be an, a, a perfect opportunity for that device and the strength of that narrative device, mm-hmm. which is to show somebody's inner state as explicitly as you can mm-hmm. uh, by, by breaking yeah. out into like, yeah, an internal thing. But since we're not, we're choosing not to do the monologue and we can't do a song, what do we have left? We'll just have him say it. And as he stares. Like, like through through the window. and Yeah. But like I said, he, he has to say it. And also these are things. Like, he can't be having a conversation with somebody for this moment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, this is not conversational language. Right. This is he's, like uh, oh, you know what crisis it is? mode. Mm. You know what it is? He's not talking to Uncle Ben. He's talking to the city. Oh, yeah. I can talk for that. Yeah. He's talking to New York. He's asking mm-hmm. it. Like, what do you want from me? Yeah. Yeah. Can I not have what I want? Yeah. <sighs> oh, poor Peter. Yeah. And then I'm real sad where this minute cuts off because I I I do like me some cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's coming up. Yep. The, the long-awaited cake combo will be uh, the highlight of uh, the top of next week, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we. I also. Um. I gotta say, like the visual design on the exterior of Peter's apartment with like the peeling paint, mm-hmm. layers of paint on that window, top-notch. Like chef kiss. Mwah. Yeah. 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 It looks so good. There's something tactile about it. Like mm-hmm. just seeing it, you almost can feel it. Yeah. It's like I know. It's like that's probably like a little bit sticky. Mm-hmm. No matter what, yes. like all the tacky. time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I want to know how much his rent is. I really want to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because like it's it's a I mean it's uh, he lives in a hole for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean it's mm-hmm. not a great place. He doesn't even have his own bathroom. But and and what is that? A shared balcony with the fire escape? Yes. Yeah. It looks like it. The but well, but even st- it's a balcony. Like it's. <laughs> You know, it's easy access yeah. for him to dive out and be Spider-Man. Um, but it's that's uh, got to be meaningful in some way to uh, rent, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, you got a balcony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would raise your rent to like at least like what? 500 bucks? Probably. I would think so. In yeah. New York City? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like it's it's not a small space. It's enough space that he could go sit on it. Yeah. 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 yeah, for sure. And you could, you know, you can uh, take the fire escape up to the roof and probably have like a roof party up there, I would mm-hmm. imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, Some date nights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Oh, so, 
yeah. But it's like they they set up a, a good like visual language for this place. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like his sad little dead plant there on the, <laughs> the windowsill that he doesn't take care of. That like maybe Aunt May got him because he's she's like you know you need to have something in the yeah. something nice in here and he just left it out on the balcony and it died. But it, but it's just one more thing that he's let die. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh no. Yeah. And but that's why he'll guilt. never take care of it. He needs to look at that as his touchstone yeah. every it's now and then. Don't, don't forget. Yeah. I could have saved it, this ben. plant. I could have saved it, but I didn't. I didn't. I chose not to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about the uh, the person who died on the fourth floor, just circling back real quick. Sure. In my head canon, that's the arsonist, so it's not too sad. <laughs> <laughs> they got caught up there. Perfect. Because <laughs> said this, this fire had to be accelerant involved uh, for it to be flaming the way it is before the fire department gets there. Right. <laughs> Perfect. We see it. So, uh, yeah, he was up there trying to, like, rob uh, an empty apartment. He probably had some, some heist planned, and he just got a smoke inhalation passed out. <laughs> so, sad that he died, but he kind of brought it on himself. <laughs> But, I uh, I don't have anything else for this minute. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. I mean, he's just he's just staring out this uh, balcony window. <laughs> I do like how how fast the push in is. Like, it's not a slow mm. push in. It's it's a pretty you know it's There's an accelerated it's push cover. in. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like he's not centered in the in the shot to start with, so they have to like push right. in to the side. Right. Yeah. Well, because they gotta, they gotta make sure that that door is is framed in that in that spot in the window, so that uh, so that uh, Ursula can pop up in there. Right, that's yeah. a complicated shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's well done. Well done. Uh, good, good job, uh, Bill Pope. <laughs> it's it's like he's got skills or something. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Um, all right. Well, guys, thanks for uh, joining this week. Do you have any, I guess, closing thoughts about Spider-Man 2 before we let you go? So I've always included Spider-Man 2 as like one of my top tier superhero films. Mm-hmm. Um, like academically, I, I publish a lot of superhero research. And so people often ask me, like, what, what's your ranking superhero films? To me, that's just like a lost cause. Mm-hmm. But I do <laughs> like put them into groups like this is a top tier. There's there's and those are great. And then there's the good and the pretty good and then there's the mm, misfires uh and this one's always been a top tier for me and i was watching it again today and i re- for the first time it really struck me like the second act is almost doc ock free right it's this yeah. is not a villain driven act at all and it's all that great internal thematic stuff that we that we were talking about a couple minutes ago like all this inversion of power and responsibility and this and what we're digging into a little bit today with the meditations on guilt and responsibility and um and, and the second act is like it's kind of its own peter parker spider-man uh, thing and uh, it surprised me how absent Doc Ock was as I was watching a little more closely for these minutes. But I think it absolutely works. Like it, it's it doesn't like I, I don't feel his absence. I just feel the spider. You know how 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 um, central Spider Man is um, in in this film. I think this film is is one of the the better thematic explorations of of what makes Spider Man Spider Man. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Uh, I I just I enjoy the movie. You know, it, <laughs> it's not as it's not as significant for me um, as as you know many other superhero films, but it's one that I definitely always think of, if nothing else, for the fact that the Spider-Man and Doc Ock um, battle is mm-hmm. great. Oh yeah, you know? and I and I actually really do like that in the in the two point one cut because um, I think most of the time I've seen this, it's been on like FX or TNT mm-hmm. and it's been a 2.1 cut, at least for that battle sequence. Right. Um, with the, with the clock tower and, and everything, you know, right. at, uh, tacked in. 
Um, but like, you know, even just the train, it's like, that's, that's the, the top tier of superhero film action mm-hmm. and like using the characters strengths and weaknesses and mm-hmm. what, you know, visually and, and kind of, um, like action wise, these characters are capable of, mm-hmm. um, in a way that, that a lot of, especially I'd say the modern films are maybe a bit weaker on, um, sure. you know, I, you know, there's, there's a couple of top tier sequences like this and, and it's, you know, like Nightcrawler, it's Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. And I think it's this train where yeah. you're like, yeah. no, this only works with Doc Ock and Spider-Man, which and is really make you feel it. Yeah. Which is, which is really interesting because I mean, I'll, we'll talk about it next season, but I actually think the action sequences in Spider-Man three are better. Um, they're, mm-hmm. they're really really incredible action sequences. The movie doesn't oh, yeah. hold like, up, I, but the action sequences are phenomenal in that movie. Yeah, and and like like Harry versus Peter in Spider-Man 3. Oh yeah. That's a great early action sequence. Yeah, and the and the scene of uh of, of Sandman versus uh symbiote Spider-Man in the in the mm-hmm. in the like abandoned the subway. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. underground tunnels. And even that final action sequence at the construction yard, like it's all really good stuff. Um, but there's something iconic about that subway train that, you know, it's just about, I, I think it's, it's, it's just the fact like those are really, really well done action sequences. But in this movie, it just, it means so much because we're just watching this guy who wants nothing more than to quit. Mm-hmm. Give it, give so much of himself that he literally passes out. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah, it's good. and and so I think that's the thing that I always come back to mm-hmm. in in Spider Man Two is him versus Doc Ock on the train. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like it just, I mean, really in in almost twenty years of superhero films, like doesn't really get better than that, guys. Yeah, <laughs> it, like really, the Spider Man movies probably make the you know like the texture of those action scenes and the, I mean, they, they play with angles in a way that you just don't get in, in Iron Man. Absolutely. You know, right. And, yeah. and having Spider-Man stick to the side of the train as another train goes by, it's like, you're not getting that in the MCU. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I kind of wish we were getting more of that. That's kind of the exciting superhero action element that I miss. In yeah. Other superhero films. It's the, uh, it's, it's the Raimi factor. It's the, yeah. You know, the uh, I, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it because it, while it's not entirely accurate, it is uh, for what we're talking about, which is that it, it's that it's that auteur flavor that mm-hmm. we don't have in in those movies, in superhero movies anymore. Not really. I'm, I'm, like you, you get it a little bit in some things. Yeah. In, like maybe Ant-Man has one of the better examples of playing with, you know, the shrinking, the growing. Sure. You get some of that. And and in Ragnarok and in uh it's not on this level. No. Mm -hmm. And even and even that uh the shrinking thing, I mean that wasn't even that wasn't even his. That wasn't even Peyton Reed's. So (laughs) he's just (laughs) directing someone else's movie. Um so you know. There you go. Um all right. Well thanks for joining us guys. This has been fun. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having us on. Yeah. One more time. Where can people uh, find you guys? Well, as part of the Dueling Genre Network, just go look up the Protagonist Podcast, and uh, we do a weekly show talking about great characters and great stories. And also on Dueling Genre, Disney Animation Minute Essentials. All right. Great. 
Uh, and we will be back on Monday. But uh, in the meantime, if you want to check out our Patreon page, you go to duelinggenre.com slash support. You can support us there and you'll gain access to the Weekend Bugle, which is the Patreon exclusive podcast that Zach and I do. And you'll also get um, all of the uh, Dueling Genre movie reviews and uh, all of the bonus content that we put up on our Patreon page. So it's uh, it's well worth the money. Um, and it really, you have no idea how far I stretch that money that is in, uh, <laughs> that comes into that Patreon feed. Um, all of this stuff costs money and it is, uh, it is so wonderful that every time a bill comes up, uh, that has to do with this podcast or these podcasts, <laughs> this network that I don't have to think twice about paying it. It just, I'm like, oh yeah, great. And then <laughs> there we go. And that's because of you guys and, and we appreciate it. So go check that out. Duelinggenre.com slash support. And uh, we'll be back on Monday with Minute 80. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.